There really is nothing like the presence of the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Our core kids are dismissed if they haven't left already. Thank you, and as they're exiting the room, if you would open your Bibles to the book of James chapter 5. So. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. You were here first service. It's okay. It's all right. You're already there. You're ready. <laughs> James chapter 5. In verse 19, when you got it, say so. And it says like this, it says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your presence in this place. And Lord, we just ask that your spirit as it is moving now, would continue to move in the preaching of your word, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, that you would liberate us, Lord, from every distraction that would try to captivate our thoughts this morning. I pray in these next few moments that you would be glorified and that we would not just hear, but that we would respond and do. We pray this in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, would you just raise your hand and hold it up, and the ushers will be sure to get you one, so just hold it up until they bring it to you. Um, outlines are important. We get to follow along in the introduction of the sermon. We also get to take notes. I think that's important. We also have some questions in there for us to answer, and we can also use this as a tool for us to be able to help someone else grow in their faith. The way that we do that is by simply being together with someone and talking to them about what we are learning in the Word of God. And so my hope is that you are learning something. And so as you can tell, we are coming toward the end of our um, series in the book of James. And today we're going to talk about restoration. But before we do that, uh, we are also in our Bible reading challenge. Today is day 211 in the Bible reading challenge. And we are in the book of Proverbs, um, chapters 28 through 31. So remember, we're doing four chapters a day. Uh, so today, if you're following along in the challenge, you'll read those four chapters. And then tomorrow you'll start in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so... I hope that you are following along. It's been a definite challenge um, for some, and I know for me as well, but we're there. We're, you know, staying strong, and so I hope that you're following along in some type of Bible reading plan throughout the year. And so as we're studying, if you look at your outline here, our study in James should have reminded us of the reality that our lives are always on display as witnesses to the truth of our commitment to Jesus and the power of the gospel. And so the whole series, Testify, has been about us testifying as witnesses to the reality that we are children of God, right? That we are really committed to Jesus. And so if we are really committed to Christ, these things that James speaks about from the beginning to the end are going to be evident within our lives, right? We are going to show, we're going to demonstrate the power of the gospel. We're going to demonstrate our devotion to Jesus. And in closing this chapter, second paragraph there, in closing this letter, James brings us to a sobering reality of what trials have the potential to do even to the strongest believer, and that has caused us to wander from the truth. I want you to get that. I want you to think about that because James has been a book. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been challenged every single week as I've been studying these scriptures, as I've been preaching them, I've been challenged. And so I know as I've been having conversations, you know, that, that's what James is. It's one of those challenging books that's just in your face with the truth. There's no questions asked. And 
He comes to this point, and in this last portion of the scripture, he is telling us to beware of something. And I remember uh, a couple of years ago, we do a Thanksgiving service every Tuesday before Thanksgiving as a community of churches. And so in one of the services uh, that was led by one of the other churches, their worship team, you know, they worship with hymns. And so they were singing some hymns. And I don't recall if it was the song before communion or the song during communion. But all I know is that as as I was, we were singing this song, when it got to the chorus part that we were repeating, there was a portion in there that said, prone to wander, I feel it, prone to wander from the God I love. And I remember that as we were singing that portion of the song, I was like, I don't want to sing that. You know, I mean, you think about it, like right now, like this morning, do you feel, I mean, for, for those of you that are spiritual in this place, do you feel like right at this moment, like you could ever wander from Jesus? No, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I know when, when I feel the presence, when I sense God's presence in my life, I mean, there's like nothing inside of me. I don't want to do anything. As a matter of fact, I don't want to preach. I want to just keep worshiping, but I'm like, you know, we're going to move forward. But here's the thing, right? We, we've had a beautiful time in worship, so I'm, I'm, there's like something inside of me. I'm not wandering. Like, there's nothing at this exact moment, but you know what happens? Tomorrow. Even an hour after service, something may happen that causes my heart to wander. And so the writer of that song was simply confirming a truth that we find in the scripture. That even the strongest believer, his heart's prone to wander. There's a part in us that will sometimes want to go the other way instead of going the right way. There's a part in us that we want to leave the truth of scripture to go in a different direction. And we as believers have to be making sure that we are guarding against that. Third paragraph here, the enemy desires our wandering from truth more than we realize. I want you to realize that. I want you to think about that because we don't, I think a lot of times when we read scripture, we may, we may look at something and like, oh, that's two verses, no big deal. Kind of just let's finish the book of James or whatever the case is. But I want you to understand something. The enemy wants your heart to wander. The enemy wants your mind to be captivated by other things, wants your heart to be consumed by other things, and that way you will wander away from the truth that saved you, the truth that is sanctifying you, and the truth that will bring you in to glory. If you think about this, look at what I wrote here. Um, Just as he deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden with regard to God's goodness, so he seeks to deceive our hearts amidst the trials of life, leaving us confused in the midst of the pain in hopes that we will turn away from the truth. The enemy came to Eve in the midst of this garden. He comes to her in the midst of this place of perfection. There was, listen, there was nothing sinful. There was nothing ungodly. There was nothing unrighteous. There was nothing. Listen, she did not even have, Adam did not have the thing that we have, which is a sinful nature. There was no prone to wandering inside of their hearts yet. There was nothing in there that would make them desire anything but God. And that's how the enemy, desi- that's how the enemy deceived her and made her think that, there, that she was lacking something of God. That she was not having something that God had to give her. And the reality was it was a deceptive trick. And I need you to know something. The enemy hasn't changed his tactics the enemy hasn't changed any way, shape, or form. What he does is he, he waves the proverbial carrot before us often. He puts that thing in front of our face that will cause us to look the other way away from our Savior. Make us think that there's something better than him. That's what he wants to do. 
He wants us to wander from the truth, to think that there's something else is better. There is nothing better than Jesus. Here is the heart or, or, the, or the big idea that I have for you today. A heart of restoration testifies to our faith. Today we're talking about the restoration test. And, and, and the big idea that I want you to get is that a heart of restoration testifies to our faith. When we have a heart to see others restored to the truth, when we have a heart to be sure that we are walking in the truth, that testifies to our faith. But when we are not having a heart to see restoration, when we don't have a desire to walk fully in the restorative work that Jesus has done for us, then there's a problem inside of our hearts. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to repeat this with me. Say, we must beware of wandering from the truth. We, say we. We must beware of wandering from the truth. I want you to know, I, I, I need you to let that sink in for a moment, right? I, I, I need you to grasp what James says here. Look what he says in verse 19. He says two things that should drive this point home very clearly for us. The first one is he says, brethren. That's the first thing he says. Say brethren. He says brethren. He uses familial language, family language. He's talking about brothers. Whenever there's someone, when he, whenever you see an apostle or in an epistle, the word used of brethren or brothers and sisters, he's talking about family. He's talking about the covenant people of God. That's who he's talking to. When preachers get up and they say brothers and sisters, they're calling to who? They are calling to the people who are part of the family of God. And so even more so, when you look at the text and who he's writing to here, we understand who he's communicating with, right? And so we see brothers. And then he says, if any one of you, say you, if any one of you turns from the truth. He didn't say if somebody else. He said if, every, if anyone among you, if any one of you turns from the truth. So he's letting us know that we need to beware of wandering from the truth. Not just thinking that that's for someone else. Not just thinking that this is just somebody else that this could happen to, but this is something for us. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the Jewish believers of the dispersia or of the dispersion, the Jews who were scattered because of the persecution. And writing to these believers, he's writing to them because of what? Because they are under trial, right? And so that's what our memory verse is, right? I know all of you memorized the memory verse. We won't say it together today. But the reality is, I hope that you did because today's the last day of the book. And so I, it doesn't mean you can't memorize it. But what is it? My brethren count. Count it all joy, right? To count it all joy when you fall into various trials, right? When you fall into various, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. My brethren, count it all joy. Again, that word brethren, brethren, my brethren, my brothers. Those who have put their faith in Jesus, count it all joy when you find yourself in various trials. And so he's writing to a people who are going through trials of faith. He's writing to people who are being tempted to turn away from God. He's writing to people who are having some internal struggles in which he calls them adulterers and adulteresses and says the desires that are within them are warring within them. He's writing to people who are sick. He's writing to people who are mourning. He's writing to people who are going through trials of faith like something that many of us have never even experienced. 
He's writing to them, and he's telling them, listen, if any of you strays concerning the faith, if any of you turns concerning the faith, if anyone does that, and what does he, what does he say there? What does this word mean to wander from the truth? He's, he's showing us that this is what happens. See, whenever we go through trials and things like that, you know what happens? These are the things that are potentially going to happen. We start to wander from the truth. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Wandering from the truth doesn't mean that you are like, you just like one day you were here solid 100%, and then all of a sudden you are in the back of the building. That's not what wandering means. Now, how many of y'all have, have ever been to the beach and actually gone into the water? Raise your hand if you've done that. You're crazy, man. There's sharks out there. But anyway, here's the thing. We went to the beach the other day, and, and you know, typically, like, when you're in the water, right, when you're, when you're in the water, you know, the, the, the waves are, you know, moving. And, and what will happen, I remember as a kid, you know, going to the beach, right, we would go, and I, would, and I was always, you know, hearing my mom or, you know, somebody yelling at us, hey, move back, move back. And they were like, why, 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 why are we all the way over here? Like, what, how did this happen? Because it wasn't like I was swimming in that direction. I thought I was standing in one place. Are you hearing me? You're hearing this, right? I thought I was standing in one place. There was something. But you know what happened? It was funny because the other day we went to the most amazing beach. I think this is part of the Garden of Eden. Glory to God. Um, Longboat Key, if you've never been there, you should definitely go. Um, and and, and what, what happened is this water, it's so amazing. My wife doesn't even get in the water. She never worries about wandering in the water because she never gets in the water. It never, just never happens. She's the one on the shore calling us move over this way. But... This water was so amazing, she got in it because it was warm and inviting, and 6.30 at night, we get there, and it was like going into a bathtub. It was, it was amazing, right? You could see, I mean, the clarity of the water was just awesome, but you know what happened? It was funny because even in that water where there were barely any waves, you want to know what was happening? We were wandering. We were wandering. We would be in the water, and we're not swimming, we're standing. And all of a sudden, we start, we, we, we just start slowly, slowly, we, we end up over way past where we went in the water. And so it's the same thing for us when we think of our faith in Christ. See, we think that we are standing, right, on the same place. But if we are not careful, if we are not paying attention to the one that is before us, if we are not focused in, you know what happens? We start slowly wandering. We start, you know, because we stop being in the word and then we start, because we feel solid because it's all about feelings. Hello, somebody. Because the church today, what we want to do is we want to be governed by our feelings instead of being solid on the word of God. That's my next point. But here's the thing that we need to understand is that we start wandering. What does it mean to wander? It means to no longer believe what is true, but to start believing what is false. To no longer believe what is true, but start to believe what is false. Can I tell you something? Our world is filled with false teaching. Are you here? Our world is filled with teaching that is not biblically sound, that is not going to keep us rooted and walking in the truth. And so we need to be careful because we can be sitting there in the midst of trials in life, in the midst of just everyday stuff, and all of a sudden hearing false teaching, false thoughts, things that don't align with the Word of God. And before we know it, we're way over here. Hello, somebody. And God wants to make sure that we understand we need to beware of one. And we need to pay attention like if we're at the beach in the proverbial sense of the faith and that we are looking, okay, that's where we're supposed to be. Why is it that we're way over here now? Hello. Because we're letting something else govern our hearts. And let me say this. The believer who doesn't think it is possible to wander from the truth has never been tried to the point of really questioning God or simply denies what the scriptures plainly think. Are you here? See, because when you've never been tried, you know, when you've never gone through hardship, when you've never gone through difficulty, you start to think, oh, that, that's, I, I'll never wander from the faith. I'll never wander from the truth. I'm, I'm always going to be solid in the truth. But, but, but when your faith is really tested, 
to the point that you're sitting there at night, 3 o'clock in the morning, and thinking about, okay, God, where are you? Are you here? You see, when that happens, something else goes on inside of us. When, when, you're, when you're wondering about that, why is this sickness still here? When you're wondering about, God, I'm tithing, I'm giving. Why is it that you haven't broken through? Why is not that you haven't moved into this situation? Why is not that you haven't eradicated this thing from my life? Hold on a second. That's the kind of stuff that makes you start to wander. See, those, see that, that's the kind of people that James is speaking to. But he's saying, listen, if you wander, if, you wander, if you're a person that's doing that, we, we have some hope for you. But here's the thing. All of us need to be aware of this. See, the great issue here, and, and I'll say this in closing this point. The greatest issue that I see, this is me, the greatest issue that I see within the church today is what I will call casual or nominal Christianity. Casual or nominal Christianity. What do I mean by that? What I mean is in today's church world, for you to make commitment to Jesus, you know, there was a time that you... You know, depending on the church background you come from, you know, they had an altar call, right? And so for you to put your faith in Jesus, you had to come forward and you had to make a public declaration. In some scenarios, they may make you raise your hand to make a, to make a declaration of faith. In other scenarios, just pray this prayer with me. And once you pray this prayer, you are now saved. Hello, somebody. Craziness. But listen. I don't see any of that stuff. I'm, I'm just being totally 100% honest with you. I don't see an altar call. I don't see a raising of the hand. I don't see you praying this prayer with me anywhere in the Bible. You check it out. Get back to me when you find it. When you find it, let me know. And I, and I don't say that to be sarcastic. I'm simply saying when you find that as being the, 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 the standard for someone being saved or for someone becoming a Christian, you let me know that. You know what it was? It was totally different. It was repent of your sins and be baptized. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn away from the way that you were living. Come to faith in Christ. Make a commitment to him. Understand that you are now deciding to turn away from the life you were living to live a whole different life today. That's what it means today. I remember being a young man in a juvenile detention, detention facility, sitting down with, a, with, with a probably like a 75, 80-year-old Baptist lady. Sat down with us. You know, they said that we we're having church, and because I was not, I was sick and tired of sitting in the, in, the, in the area where everybody was, I was like, well, let me go do something else. So I decided I was going to church. Hello. Church wasn't like church here. The way church was, you, stand, you stood in a line, and then you went, and then all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they appointed you a table, and you went and sat at a table, and then one of the people who was going to be preaching to you that day, they came and sat down in front of you. And so this old lady, she comes, you know, she comes and sits, and I, I say old lady with respect, okay? Um, you know, she sits down in front of me, this saint of the Lord. Let me say it that, that way. Um, she sits down in front of me, sweet as could be. So she asked me some questions. She's like, so she asked me all these questions about Jesus. I don't remember all the questions that she asked, but I knew all the answers. You know why? Because my grandma, she used to take me to church. And guess what? I used to hear all them Bible stories. So every question she was asking me, I had the answer. Listen to what I'm saying, church. I had all the answers. Everything. And then she asked me a question at the end of our time together, having probably like 30 minutes together. She said, let me ask you a question. Why don't you follow Jesus? You know what I said to her? I said, because I don't want to stop having sex and I don't want to stop getting high. That was my answer. I don't want to stop having sex, and I don't want to stop getting high. I want to continue to live the life that I want. I know all the answers, and I know all of these things are true, but I do not want to stop them. Here's what I understood. This is what I understood at that age. If I said yes to Jesus, I had to say no to some other stuff. If I said yes to Christ, I couldn't continue to say yes to all this. It's the same thing with my wife. Listen to me. When I said yes to her, I said no to every other woman on the planet. Did you hear me? Are y'all hearing me? That's what marriage is. When you, listen, for all the folks up in here, the moment you say yes, if you're married, the moment you said yes to that one, by default, you said no to every other one. 
And when you come to Jesus, it is the same exact thing, a covenant. And you are saying yes to you, Lord. I'm saying no to every other thing that I may love that may pull me away from you. God created a bunch of stuff for us to enjoy that doesn't mean that you can live how you want to live. And so my, the thing that I say is that we have this casual, nominal Christianity, which is subpar Christianity. See, back in the day when people gave their life to Jesus, their life was on the line for that. Hello. Today, all we're doing is making some kind of confession, some kind of commitment, and that's it, and then we're good to go. Our life doesn't have to change. Our life is not on threat if we're living here in the United States at this point anyway. But the reality is their lives, there was something that was going on. And here's the thing that I find so ironic is that if I were to poll every person in this building, if I were to poll every single person that sits down in a church, I'm going to assume this, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but it, because I don't want to embarrass anyone with the statement I'm going to say after that. But listen to me. If I would ask everyone, how many of you in this place are willing to die for Jesus? And I could assure you about 90%, and if we want to be a little bit, you know, if, if we want to pull it back, let me say 75%, I believe 75% of the people that are sitting in those seats would say, yes, I'm willing to die for Jesus. Here's my issue. If you're saying that you're willing to die for Jesus, let's, let's back up for a moment. Are you willing to live for Jesus? See, it's a different thing. See, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm willing to die for Jesus. Yeah, I'm willing to take a bullet for Jesus, but, 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 but will you say no to sin for Jesus? Will you say no to those things that you know are wrong? Will you say, no, I'm not going to do those things for Jesus? Or how about this? Will you say yes to Jesus? When Jesus calls you to do something, will you say, yes, I'm going to do that? Even though it's not comfortable, even though I'm not feeling it, you know, I, I was having a conversation with Lizelle's mom. Um, the, uh, last week, and she was telling me to, you know, to pray for them because her and David are going back to Honduras. And so, you know, after Lizelle's mom, she had all those health issues as she came here and went through all of this stuff. And so she's going back out there. David, they, her, man, I, I hope to God that I can have the type of commitment this guy has to Jesus. I, how old is your dad? He is 75 years old, and he is out there on a mission. He doesn't even want to come back. 76, glory to God. Listen to me. I'm not talking about a little mission trip where you go and you hang out in like a nice pristine hotel and you go out around to some churches out there because, you know, that's how some mission trips are nowadays. You go on a mission trip, you stay in a nice, really good place, and then you go and you may, you know, go build something over here or clean something there. You know, maybe go preach in a couple of churches that are already built. No, no, I'm talking about a guy that is out here in the, I mean, in just, in, in a place that is real missionary living, real living. And this guy does not want to come back over here. That is a guy that is really committed and sold out to Jesus. Who has gone and said, you know what, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my, I'm going to do his, I mean, that is their heart. They're not worried about their health. They're not worried about any of that kind of stuff. That's why y'all need to pray for them. Are you hearing me? You need to pray for them because they, listen, I love the heart that they have. And I don't know that I would have that heart. But here's what I know. Is they, is, and, and I know this for sure. They want to expend themselves for what? The glory of Jesus. When they, when they breathe their last, they don't want to have anything left. They don't want to have any gas left in the tank. They want to leave it all out there for Christ. I hope that that will be the type of commitment that we have to Jesus. Because that's the kind of commitment that we're supposed to have for him. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must stay rooted in the truth. We must stay rooted in the truth. And so he goes on to say, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his ways. And so the second thing is we must be rooted in the truth. And so what is he communicating? He's saying that we need to be those who are turning people back 
right? We're, we're supposed to be those that are seeing someone who is on the wrong path, who is going in the wrong direction. Hey, check this out. You know, I, when I see somebody on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on all of those areas that you see folks at, and their testimony on those areas are not aligning with the word of God, guess what? You're supposed to be that voice that says, hey, man, you're not walking in the truth. Oh, I know that's tough. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Oh, man, what do I do about that? Let me tell you what you do about that. Do, do what I do. I used to get on arguments and all that kind of stuff. No longer do I do that. You know what I do? I send them a private message. I say, hey, man, I read something that you wrote there, and, man, that thing is just not lining up with the scriptures. I've got unfriended for that. Hello, somebody. And it's okay. I'm all right with it. You know, you, you're not hiding from me because I'm not the judge. I'm simply a person standing beside you saying what you're saying you're living, you're living a lie on there. That's all we're doing. We're telling the truth, but this is what we're supposed to do. But we have to be rooted in the truth because here's the thing. If we are in error, guess what? We can't help someone else out of their error. Are you here? You can write this scripture down, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Look what he says here. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Goes on to talk about how the message of angels, or everything that the angels promised and prophesied was going to come to pass. So if we ignore such a great salvation, what happens to us? In other words, we need to pay attention. It's not enough just to go ahead and just listen once in a while, be a casual hearer of the word of God. We've got to be those that are listening with intention, that are listening with attentiveness, that are listening with our hearts submitted and surrendered unto the God who inspired those words that are written on those pages. Are you here? You know, I know I, I love technology because technology allows us to, you know, to do things like we're, we're able to turn on worship in the background. We're able to turn on. I was having a conversation with a couple and we were talking about reading the scriptures and I, I was saying, hey, you know, you can download this particular app and it reads the scriptures to you and you can read it at a certain time. But here's what I want you to know. There's a beauty of that. I love technology because for me, it's easier for me because my mind is always running 100 miles a minute and there's no lie. I, I literally this morning, I, when I got up this morning, as I was going over the message, I'm going over the sermon, and it's so funny because that when I first wake up in the morning, everything in my mind is quiet. Everything in my house is quiet. I'm not thinking about anything, and I promise you, when I got to paragraph three, I have no idea where my mind was. Because just things started bombarding my thoughts. Things just, I mean, thought, not bad thoughts, just thoughts. Things I got to do for the day. Am I going to do this? Am I going to And all of a sudden, I find myself struggling. So it's beautiful because I can put the, the, um, the words of the scriptures on while I read them, which gets my ears engaged and then also has my eyes engaged. But let me tell you something that happens. Most of the time, when I am just listening to the scriptures behind me while I'm doing other stuff, the scripture is just playing. I'm not paying attention. I'm not paying attention. And so what I'm saying is whatever we do, we need to be sure that we are paying closer attention and the scriptures warn us lest we drift away. Lest we start, like we talked about on the beach, we start drifting away. We didn't even realize it. We're way over here before we know it. Because what? Because we're not paying attention to what the scriptures have to communicate to us. See, we have to be those kind of people that are what? That are, that are turning to the truth daily. And here's what I want you to know. Whenever someone, if you're in here and you're one of those people that is turning from the truth in your life, know this, you're not just turning from words, you're turning from a person. John chapter 14, verse 6, you all should know this by memory, right? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That's what Jesus said. He said, I am not a way, I am the way. I am not a truth, I am the truth. He is the truth. 
His truth is a person that we come to know. And so when I abandon truth, you know what I'm doing? I'm abandoning Jesus. So what am I supposed to be doing? Every day I'm supposed to discipline myself to be in the word of God, to be in the presence of God, to be hearing God's words as I'm meditating on them and I'm being reminded of God's goodness. I'm being reminded of God's promises. I'm being reminded of God's warnings. I'm being reminded of God's character. I'm being reminded of God's commandments for my life. That's what we're supposed to be doing so that way we don't wander from the truth. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must be committed to restoring others to truth. And so here is the, the thing, that the, the two things that are in this scripture. The one is that we must beware that we are not wandering from the truth, that we are not taking steps to the left or to the right, but that we are remaining faithful to the truth. But then he also comes and he says this. He says, but let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. That's the first promise there. And number two, and cover a multitude of sins. And so when, he, when, when James comes here and he talks about us returning, what is he talking about? What it means to return is this. The word is, is, is epistrophe in the Greek. And what it means is it means to return to a point or area where one has been before. To return to a point or area where one has been before. This is not talking, and I need, I need to make this clear, because I did, I did, I mean, I did an extensive study on this scripture because I want to make sure that I'm pre presenting the truth here. And, and the one thing that every single one of the writers agreed with is that when James is speaking here, he was c clearly communicating to believers. Are you getting that? He's not warning sinners. He's not warning people who are outside of covenant. We already established in James chapter 4 when he says, repent you sinners, that he's speaking to believers who, again, he's not talking to their identity. He's talking to their behavior. He's saying those who are not living according to the covenant truths of Scripture, those who are not living according to their identity in Jesus. That's who he's talking to here. And again, remember, he says, brethren, if any of you turns away, right, if any of you strays or wanders according to the truth, if any of you does that, that's what he, he establishes this. And so he's talking to us about this sinning situation, and he gives us these two promises that those who wander are going to be what? There is salvation from death, and there is a covering of multitudes of sins. And so we have two things here that we see. And the first thing we see is that this it is the saving of this soul. I need you to know this. He is not talking about physical death. You're not saving someone from physical physical death. You might be in the sense that you're helping them not walk into what may be death, but here's what he's talking about. He's talking about a soul that is going to be saved from death. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, what does it tell us? It says, do not fear those who can do nothing, who can only kill the body, but fear those who what? Who can, or fear him, not those, fear him. He's the only one who can do this, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I need the weight of that to sink in because if we're going to be people that are caring about the restoration of those who walk away from the truth and also guard against walking from the truth, we have to understand that this is a warning. This is not something to be played with. This is a warning there. And so those who stray according to the truth are not just in, in danger of the discipline that comes, but he's saying that you save a sinner from what? You save their soul from death. Their soul from death. And then the other one is that you cover a multitude of sins. You cover a multitude. What, what does that mean? That means that when someone walks away, when someone starts straying, listen, when you or I start straying according to the truth, you know what we start doing? We start living according to the lie. 
And you know what happens? That means we start to sin. We start to sin, and therefore we end up doing things that have grave consequences. And when someone turns from the lie to the truth, guess what? They are delivered from the consequences that the sin would have caused them to walk into. And so here's what we have to understand is that we have to have a heart that cares about the restoration of those who are hurting. The restoration of those who are going through trials. The restoration of those. And so how do we bring restoration? Well, the way that we bring restoration is through communicating the truth to them. You see, because when someone wanders from the truth, how is it that you are going to get them get their attention? Well, you remember I told you we were on the beach, right, as a kid? My mom, you know, whoever was on the beach, they would be saying, hey, they're yelling from the shore. And, 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 how, and how many of you all have ever been to the beach and you think you're really loud and then you barely hear the person? Are you hearing? It, I mean, they're on the shore and they're yelling and you hear like, hey. Like, 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 you might, like, like if you're under a wave, you're not going to even catch that, right? Like they're over there doing smoke signals, jumping like, hey, you know, trying to get your attention. And, and, and the reality is, I mean, you know, you're just, you're not, you're not focused on that. You're not paying attention. So what does that mean for us? That means for us that we need to come in close proximity to people. Listen to me when I say this. The preaching of the word of God from the pulpit is not enough to address people's sin. Did you hear what I just said? The preaching of the word of God from the pulpit is not enough to address people's sin. You want to know why? Because people hide from the pastor. Are you here? Oh, they're, 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 they're amen, bishop, amen. Yeah, hey, praise the Lord, you know, get spiritual and all that stuff. Seem like that. But they'll walk away and they'll continue to live in sin. And you know what? You're sitting there right next to them watching them do that. You're sitting there in their life watching them live how they want to live. So that means that we have to be the people that come in love. Say in love confront those who are wandering. Listen, can I tell you how you know when someone's wandering? Have you ever had a, and you'll know this right now, have you ever had a conversation with someone and you start to ask them certain questions and they have some ridiculous, like far out ideas of whatever it is you're talking about. Like you're like, how could they even think that? You ever had that conversation with someone? Right? It could be about whatever. I mean, it could be about spiritual things. It could be about things that, you know, like you know about. Like you ever had a conversation with someone about basketball and they don't know what on earth they're talking about. And you're like, how on earth did they come to this conclusion? You ever had that conversation? Football, something that you like. And you, I mean, it's something that you know about. Like you know the stats. You know the truth. And this person is talking to you like they know what they're talking. And you're like, what on earth? Where on earth did they get these ideas? Right? You know what that is? That's a person who has wandered from the truth. So when you're talking about the Bible, you're talking about spiritual stuff. Or they start talking about something. They start having a conversation. And you know that they're way out there. They're way off base. Guess what they've done? They've let you know they're wandering from the truth. Now listen to me. I want you to know this again. Please hear me. Because someone wanders from the truth doesn't mean that they're off the beach. Are you here? It doesn't mean that just because someone wandered from the truth that they're over there in the inlet now. That does, that's not what it is. They're on their way there. That's for sure. That's why the promise is there. Anyone that turns saves this soul from death. But here's what happens. We have to be those that when someone is right here, are you here? When someone is right here in their thinking that we step into their lives in love and we say, man, that's the wrong thinking. That's not biblical truth. That's not the truth of Scripture, and we have to do that in love. We don't blast people from the pulpit. We don't, we don't shun people just because, you know, they sinned. Listen, can I tell you something? Every one of you in this place has sinned and will sin. I'm sorry to tell you. Are you here? I hope you won't sin. I hope you won't commit grave sins in your life, but I want you to know some of you are sinning right now. Hello. Some of your thoughts about me are sinful, but here's the thing. Like, Bishop, you're over time. I know that. I know that. Glory to God. That's sinful thoughts, such sinful people. 
Listen, the reality is that we all fall short. And that's not a crutch, but it's just the truth. We all sin. You know what happens? It's just sometimes nobody ever knows about our sin. And so how do, we, how do we care about, we need to be those type of people who care enough to be involved in folks' lives. I want you to know, being here on Sunday morning, that's not going to be enough for you to help someone get away from wandering from the truth. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that. You say, we, I mean, we can care about you and all that kind of stuff, but if you really want to be engaged, you need to be involved in people's lives. So here's my closing question for you. Do you have a heart of restoration, and are you or are you in need of restoration? Those are the two questions there. The first one is, do you have a heart of restoration? Do you care about those people who are wandering from the truth? You have to have that heart. If you don't have that heart, there's a problem. And the second part of the question is, are you a person that's in need of restoration in this place? Are you a person that maybe you have been wandering from the truth? Who knows why? Maybe a trial in your life, maybe a sickness, maybe a difficulty, maybe an offense of someone in the church has caused you to wander from the truth, but you need restoration. I want you to know God is here for both. If you don't have a heart of restoration towards others, God is here because he wants to give you that heart. And the second thing is if you need restoration, God is here because he wants to restore your heart. Amen? So I'll stand to our feet. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Hmm. Father, we come to you today and we humble our hearts before you, God. And we acknowledge first and foremost that you alone are God. You alone are all wise. You alone know all things. You alone are Savior and King. You alone know our hearts. And so today, Lord, we come to you and we bow our hearts before you. Today we come to you, Lord God, and we pray that, number one, that we would have a heart of restoration towards others that we would care about the condition of others spiritually, and that we would desire to see them restored 100% to the truth, that we would not allow our brothers and sisters to stray from the truth without lovingly, Lord, co communicating with them the truth of where they are and where they ought to be. Father, I pray for those in this place that need restoration. I pray for those that are hurting, for those that are broken, for those that are going through trials of their faith as they have never thought before. Spirit of the living God, draw them to you today. Heal the brokenness in their hearts. Give them the faith to stand firm, God. Draw them near to you. And help us all, Lord God, to have a heart of restoration. And give us the grace to recognize when we wander. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise.